welcome to this tonight's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Tonight we are all talking about Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Was that the name of this film that we watched? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Um, it's an animated film um, from Sony, uh, which is basically, it's a Spider-Man film. Um, so tonight I'm joined by my usual crew of Gerald, Maggie and Anja. Say hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Um, and this is going to be, right, <laughs> and this is going to be a full spoilers podcast as usual. Uh, we'll try to keep the swearing to a minimum if possible, but we'll see what happens. And um, yeah, so this was a Spider-Man film. It was kind of like it felt a little bit sort of from left field. It was it's not a live-action Spider-Man film that we're kind of used to. It was this animated Spider-Man film. Um, yeah, it was very different, and um, why don't we just launch into impressions? Well, actually, firstly, let me just give a brief synopsis of what this film actually is, right? So, this film is... Um, the film kind of starts off, and you think it's going to be an animated, like, Peter Parker film, and so it talks about, like, Peter Parker's life, and it kind of catches you up on Spider-Man, and actually, this animated Spider-Man, you see a lot of, like, the movie Spider-Man scenes that appear in this animated Spider-Man's life, right? So you kind of see various scenes from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films that are still recent enough that we all kind of remember them, um, yeah, that are kind of interspersed into this Spider-Man's life. Interestingly, none of the uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man film scenes are in this person's, are in this Spider-Man's <laughs> life. And so you kind of, like, have a level of familiarity with kind of Spider-Man. And then it kind of flashes to a character called Miles Morales, who is a kid who, um, like, he's like, he's in many ways, he's kind of like Peter Parker, right? He's like an ultra-smart kid. He's kind of... He's like an artist, but he's also, you know, very clever, good marks, and he's been shipped off to this sort of special, like, bright kids school, Um, and he doesn't really like it, because he's like, he kind of prefers his old neighborhood, he prefers to do his art a little bit, like, I can kind of understand that, and... He's kind of like, so his dad is a police officer, his mom is, I think, a nurse, and they're both fine, upstanding citizens. They want him to be happy and, like, go to this school. He is a little bit rebellious. One night, he goes out with his uncle, who is kind of portrayed as a bit of a loose cannon, to his uncle takes him to this place to do sort of his art, like graffiti art, and while he's doing that, he gets bitten by a radioactive spider, and man, his Spider-Man, Miles Morales, kind of gets the Spider-Man powers. Um, this is a very, really weird, interesting film because, um, basically, immediately upon him becoming Spider-Man, a series of events happens, and the original Spider-Man, Peter Parker, dies, right? He gets killed by the Kingpin, because the Kingpin is doing these experiments with multi-dimensional travel, and the Kingpin sort of basically, like, creates this hole into another dimension. Spider-Man is almost sucked into it. There's an explosion, he gets trapped under rubble, Kingpin kills him, but in the process of this sort of explosion, all these Spider-Men from various dimensions, I think four different Spider-Men, get thrown into this dimension, right? And basically, this story is about um, the various Spider-Men that converge and them teaming up with Miles Morales, this new upcoming Spider-Man who doesn't really know what he's doing, um, to kind of stop the Kingpin's plan to destroy this interdimensional gate thingy, thingy and to send all of the Spider-Men back home. Um, I think that's like a rough plot summary, I think. I mean, that there's much more... In- At the end of the day, this is kind of like a coming-of-age story. It's like an origin story for Miles Morales as a Spider-Man. Um, and it's also like, you know, there's another Peter Parker from an alternate universe, and there's also a bit of a character arc with... with the alternate universe Peter Parker as well. So that is a rough synopsis of what Into the Spider-Verse was. Fully animated film. Anager, why don't you start? Because I know that you in the past have said that you don't love animated films. So I'm very interested in understanding what you, you thought about this guy, this, this film. I, I'm not sure I said I don't love... I don't laugh, Gerald. I'm not sure I said I don't... Stop it. I'm not sure I said that I don't love animated films. I do love animated films. What I don't love is Spider-Man. 
Spider-Man is my oh, least just, favorite. Just wait for it, guys. <laughs> no, stop it. Spider-Man is my is my <laughs> least favorite. Stop pressuring me to say that. I'm not going to say it, Gerald. Be quiet. Okay. <laughs> Spider-Man hey guys, is my... Anna just fell asleep after oh, 15 minutes. Really? You are such a rat. You are such a rat. Stop talking. Anyway, listen, Spider-Man is my least favourite superhero. Um, the, the first movie I ever walked out on in the su- in the in the movie theatres was one of the Spider-Man movies, the Spider-Man 2, whatever it was. Really? Um, Spider-Man 2 yeah. is widely considered yeah. to be the best of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. So bored. Oh. <laughs> anyway, but, like, I was not actually – I was meant to go see this movie on Saturday. I really didn't want to go. I told Gerald to go on Saturday. I said I'd go the next day. Gerald came back and told me. It was amazing, like best animated film. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I go and I didn't like it. I really thought I would, and I was looking forward to it, but I didn't. I didn't like the comic. Okay, so basically, this movie looks like a comic strip come to life. And if you really, the way it's animated, it looks like that. And if you really love comics, and I, and I imagine it's really wonderful to see a movie that looks like a comic strip come to life. But I don't like comics, and I didn't like this form of animation. I really did not. I got so frustrated with the story. Yes, I understand that I fell asleep for part of the movie. But... It was a two-hour film, Anisha. <laughs> what percentage were you awake? Oh, maybe. Look, I might have fallen asleep for about half an hour towards. <laughs> anyway. Like twenty-five minutes. Like twenty-five percent of the film. <laughs> I found it so frustrating, all the different spider people. Like, honestly, it was just irritating. I don't think spider pig. Spider pig was the most annoying of all the spider people. Like, I think I think maybe noir spider was, like, the least annoying. But still, like, what were you doing? Like, what were they doing there? It was, like, these random characters strung together by this idea that they were all different types of spider-man in different like abstract in in different parallel universes but really having absolutely nothing to do with each other or with spider-man just appear and they form this gang of just randoms that we've never met before (laughs) couldn't care less about and all have annoying spider powers which you know i don't find that interesting And I just didn't like it. I didn't like any of it. I didn't, and I really didn't like how uh, Miles, you know, he can't control his powers, which is like such a typical story arc for a new <laughs> hero. So he can't, he can't control his powers, and then suddenly he just can, right at the end. Like, I, I agree with I that. Just I, I think that's so annoying. Yeah, I agree with that. That, that was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure I agree a lot of. With what, a lot of what you said, but I definitely agree with that last point. <laughs> All right, you guys go ahead. You guys would have loved this movie much more than me. Okay. I, I think the rest of us saw 100% of this film, right? Did, <laughs> what percentage? I, I can sadly say that I, I 100% watched this film. <laughs> Jerry, did you yeah, watch I this film? It I, watched, I, watched it all, I watched it all the way through. I did not fall asleep at any point during the movie. I did not miss 45 minutes. I did not miss the fact that there were alternative universes from which these spider people came. And I did not spend the next half an hour of the film messaging my spouse in order to catch up on the plot. Oh, oh, oh. You're such a rat. It's all theoretical. Now? This is all hypothetical. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> okay, who, who wants to go next? Mags, why don't you go? Okay, okay. Um, look, yes, I, I did watch the movie. Um, yes! And <laughs> I really loved it, actually. Um, I am not a typical comic book reader. I think the only comics that I really got into when I was a kid was the Archie comics and Veronica and Betty. Um, mm. So not really into the whole sort of, you know, comic book look and feel. But I actually really loved how they tried to use that um, motif to bring the story to life. So, you know, almost like a comic book coming to life. And I loved that every now and then they throw in, you know, especially like, for example, in the school scene after Miles has been bitten by the spider and he's hearing his own voice in his head and it's coming out um, as those um, yellow uh, rectangular blocks of text. Uh, and I really, really loved that. It, it felt almost like a, um, 
like a, a merging between your typical animation and another sort of art house form of, you know, of style. Um, so I really, really loved that. Um, I didn't mind the fact that there were, you know, part of the story was all these different dimensions, um, spider people bursting through and then landing <laughs> in Mark Morales's um, universe. Because in some ways it's almost like the best, um, you know, you're right, it is the typical origin story. Um, and then the question, I suppose, is who? there's always a teacher who teaches um, the hero about um, themselves and their powers. And I love the fact that in this movie it was actually all the spider people teaching him. So it's almost like he's learning from himself and from the lineage of the um, – it's like a recognition of the lineage of the Spider-Man series over time and then drawing that as the strength of the um, franchise. So I, I kind of liked that um, – connection and there was one line in particular that i thought was really interesting and, and quite a um clever little line which was i think it was noir spider-man or it could have been spider peak they were um finding is, out about his name is spider ham i'm just gonna throw oh. that there. it's not spider <laughs> pig he's peter porker spider ham <laughs> uh, he's not even a pig he's named after like the food ham. Yes. it's a dead version it, well it's, it's a, a dead version. look it's a clever pun Deal with it. <laughs> so one of those guys, like, says as an aside about Miles Morales, ooh, wow, what a compelling origin story. Yeah. So it's all these little in-jokes that I really loved about it. Um, I thought it was clever, clever script, um, and, yeah, I, I, I loved it. Cool. Yeah. Should, uh, should I shoot next? Um, yeah, I, I got to say, I... I, I really enjoy this film. Look, why don't I get talk about the negatives first? Um, so I agree with Anija that there were certain character, well, plot points and character moments that didn't feel earned, right? So I didn't feel like Miles Morales' apotheosis into Super Spider-Man um, was particularly earned. It was this weird movie moment when he just suddenly gets this power up and he goes from a guy who has no idea what he's doing into like this super competent hero, right? It was weird. Mm. And I think the other weird moment for me was um, the death of his uncle Aaron, right? I, I didn't really know how yeah. to interpret that because um, I, I kind of felt like with his dad... His, I felt like his dad was the Uncle Ben character of his story, right? So, look, I, let's take a step back, right? I think one of the really cool things about this film is actually that it kind of defines what makes a Spider-Man. And there are these elements of Spider-Man's story that are kind of, like, pivotal, that kind of make Spider-Man, right? It's kind of like, obviously, the great power comes great responsibility, but the, the trigger for why people realize that great power comes like with great power comes great responsibility is that someone very close to them someone who is a role model for them passes away and that triggers them to realize well i can't waste this great power that i've been given right i need to do something about mm -hmm. it and that causes them to be a hero right and so i kind of feel like for the spider-man so some of the spider-men are not very well fleshed out but the, for the spider-men that are kind of fleshed out there is that commonality in the story right because even gwen stacy like her friend Peter Parker dies, and it's implied that the combination of her strong family, like her policeman dad, and, you know, obviously the influence of Peter Parker is kind of what drives her to be a Spider-Man or Spider-Woman type of thing, right? So, like, mm. so I feel like that was really cool, right? Like, they laid out these commonalities between the Spider-People, right? Ordinary folks, typically quite clever, ordinary folks who are bitten by a radioactive spider, who are basically... Um, initially unwillingly, but then, but then some tragic event spurs them to take on that mantle of responsibility, right? This is like the Spider-Man story. So I thought that was really cool. But then for me, like, I, so the death of Aaron, who is actually a supervillain in this, like, he turns out to be the Prowler, who's a supervillain who's working for Kingpin. He's like this guy who's been out for Miles' blood because he doesn't know that Miles is Spider-Man. Kingpin kills Aaron, right? And it's kind of really weird. Like, it, like I don't really know how to read that scene. It was, it didn't feel particularly impactful. It didn't feel like, like, I, 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 I didn't particularly understand 
how... Is this where he just shoots him? Yeah, yeah. And then it's kind of mm. like, he's really sad, as you would be, right? But I'm not entirely sure how his death triggers this idea that great power comes to great responsibility with Miles, mm. right? So I felt for... It was kind of like, well, yes, it was very tragic and it sucked, right? But what did that actually tell Miles? And in fact, the more interesting relationship was the one between his dad like Miles and his dad, right? Mm. Where I felt the real emotional growth in Miles's character was basically being able to acknowledge that he loved his father and that he looked up to his father, right? Um, mm. That this set of events allowed him to say to his father that he loved him and to understand the value of family, right? I thought that was more compelling, but it, like I didn't necessarily feel like you needed the death of the Prowler to kind of get there, the death of Uncle Aaron. And so was, I thought that was... That was weird, right? So those were the bad, bad bits. But then I thought otherwise this was a really interesting, super different film. Like, so weird, right? Like, and, mm. um, like, so visually, like, uh, I mean, a few things that I loved about it visually, I thought it was really clever. And um, we'll talk about it later, exactly kind of the specific visual elements that I, lo- that, that I loved. But, um... Yeah, I 100% agree with Mags that in some places it felt like an art house film. Jez, do you remember ages ago there was a Keanu Reeves film that was like 100% rotoscoped? It was like this sort of animated art house film. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, it, it called um, A Scanner Darkly. Yeah, A Scanner Darkly. Yeah, there were various yeah, scenes in the, this. Yeah, based on the Philip K. Dick novel, is that right? Yeah. 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 So, there were various scenes in this film that kind of reminded me of, like, that sort of art house start of, style of filmmaking, like, visually. It was kind of weird, right, that you kind of saw this in a superhero film. So, I thought that was pretty different and cool. Um, and I think the greatest achievement of this film is really, I left this film and I felt like Sony had rescued the franchise. I genuinely did, right? Because Hmm. for many years, I don't think Sony really knew what to do with the Spider-Man franchise. They finished off the Tobey Maguire films, and then they decided to reboot with the Andrew Garfield films that were, like, so close... Like, not enough time had passed between Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, and then it was a full reboot, and people didn't really understand. It was kind of, like, a bit of a weird sort of transition, and then it didn't really pan out very well. And then this film kind of lands, and it's completely out of left field, and it basically posits this idea that all of these different universes of Spider-Men can coexist, and there's kind of unity in this idea of, hey, we've got Marvel Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man sitting over there, and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man over here, and hey, look, there's all these other weird Spider-Men, and they all exist in this multiverse of Spider-Man, right? And I thought that was a really clever way of kind of saying... Guys, like this, this is a there is a unity here, and it's not just us differently making films. I absolutely believe it is them differently making films, but I, I feel mm-hmm. like as a film, it like creates a sense of structure, right, for Spider-Man, which I think is really important. And um, yeah, it's really important, right? Like I feel like I feel like off this film, I feel like this film is strong enough that off the back of this film and off the structure that this film has kind of laid, you can kind of build a set of really weird and interesting Spider-Man films that have interconnectedness, right? Like, that sort of idea kind of makes me excited. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of that's where, where I come from in terms of this film. Jerry? Yeah, I just want to pick up on that last idea that you articulated, Darren, because I think it's, it's quite important. Um, readers of comic books are always debating with each other what is or is not canonical. Um, and, you know, we find ourselves um, drawn into debates over which particular universe or which particular branch of which particular universe should be deemed to be canon and which should be deemed as some sort of parallel elseworld type story. And what this movie does quite success- successfully, I think, is play with the idea of, well, what is canonical? So in the opening part of the film, we see Peter Peter Parker say, I am the one and only Spider-Man. And then we see scenes from, as you noted earlier, um, the Sam Raby, Tobey Maguire um, Spider-Man films. I think that's important because 
So this movie is linking itself back to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man universe, but at the same time is not quite of that universe because when we when when Peter Parker finally pulls off his mask, um, he's not drawn to look like Tobey Maguire, and he doesn't sound anything like Tobey Maguire. So it's both in and yet outside of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man universe. And then with each new Spider-Person who gets introduced in the film, they all get their intro saying, look, in my world, I am the one and only Spider-Man or Spider-Ham or, or, um, or whatever. Um, and, or, you know, in the case of Gwen Stacy, um, Spider-Woman. And so I think um, the movie kind of plays with the, the obsessions of comic book readers about what is or is not canonical in the, in the lives of their favourite characters. Um, and it does so quite cleverly because, um, so it does it at the level, at, at a plot level with all these multiple different, um, spider people from multiple, um, universes coming together. But then at the same time, we also see that the, the way in which, um, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man is, is accommodated within this universe. And finally the transition from Peter Parker to Miles Morales. So, um, so, I think what is important about this movie is the fact that it says, look, you know, Spider-Man contains multitudes. Um, he or she, in the case of Gwen Stacy, can mean many things to many people and have a have an origin story that that whilst um, it, it whilst is a variation on the theme, um, accommodates different versions and p- different sorts of identities. Not least of which is the the um, the question of ethnicity, for instance, you know, so Miles Morales is brown, he's half African American, half Latino, and um, and and so we see, I think, in this film very subtly a sort of pan to diversity as well. You know, within the within the multiverse, um, there is accommodated um, a diversity of Spider Men or Spider Women um, in a way that. In a way that you know we we haven't seen with any other superhero on film or necessarily in comic books either. So um, I think I think the movie is a lot sort of cleverer than at, it seems at first blush. But at first blush, it's also just a lot of fun. The, the animation I thought was extremely stylish and, and executed very well. I thought the movie was um, at times absolutely hilarious. Um, the the cynical uh, burnout Peter Parker who finds his way into this universe is I think one of the best renditions of the character of Peter Parker we have seen yet. Certainly much better than sort of evil Peter Parker in Spider Man Three. Uh, so when you when you add all that together, um, you know the, the package is very satisfying. I agree that the way in which Miles Morales. Uh, gets control of his powers is ridiculous because he, 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 he kind of he snaps his fingers and and he's he's in full command of his powers. But in that respect, the movie is no different from Spider-Man: Homecoming, in which Tom Holland, Spider-Man, finds himself what under um he's under the he's he's under the collapsed ceiling of um mm. of a building and he just he's, he's he's looking at his own reflection in a puddle of water and screaming and all of a sudden he's um, a hell of a lot stronger than he was before. Um, and has a sense of purpose and a sense of mission and a sense of judgment that he didn't have, but which Iron Man has tried to instill in him. So I think it suffices to say, particularly because um, both the Tom Holland rendition of Spider-Man and this Miles Morales Spider-Man, they're both young adolescents, and so the, the, the filmmakers in both cases are trying to track a transition from... Um, childhood to adulthood and with it, you know, sort of uh, raw, unbridled talent uh, tr- uh, transitioning to um, a-, a series of powers that one over which one has full command. But um, given that, you know, these are movies in which a lot happens, that transition feels in both cases um, abbreviate, abbreviated and abridged. Uh, and and so it's just it's just rushed. It is it is a structural flaw in in the movie. But I think you know sort of given given the, the what came around it was so much fun. I was happy I was happy to give it a bit more of a pass than I otherwise would have. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, look, I, I think I'm aligned with you on that, Jez, right? Like, it did feel unsatisfying for me, but at the end of the day, like, I, my first reaction to this film is that it is, I felt it was like a really fun, interesting film that had flaws, but, you know, it's definitely a film that I think is, like, it's it's definitely one of the better Spider-Man film, and I think it does a lot in terms of universe building, so 100% agreed. Um yeah, like, I, I think it's re- also really... Like, why don't we have a quick chat about this, the Peter B. Parker character, right? Like, I thought he was... I loved that character. I thought, actually, he was the best character in the entire film, right? The this the deadbeat Spider-Man, who <laughs> basically had started living in, like, becoming a hermit, eating pizza, getting fat, who clearly still had a lot of, like, vestigial skills, but basically because of the breakdown of his marriage or his relationship i can't remember if he was i think he was married right but because sorry oh he was married yeah yeah yes so because of the breakdown of his marriage he kind of has like become really cynical and kind of given he's still a hero but has kind of like given up on life a little bit right and i thought his arc like i i I felt like he was of all the spider-men like he was the really only other character that had a definitive arc because his character started off being really like just over it, right? Like completely kind of lost the impetus for kind of being a hero and kind of like his, it's kind of this classic story of the old wizened hand teach like sort of teaching in inverted commas, the, um, the young talented, um, protege, but, in the process of teaching the protege, he the idealism of the protege starts rubbing off on him, and he starts kind of remembering what it was that kind of drove him to be a hero in the first place. And also the protege giving him this this older character the courage to tackle his demons, right? Because as a character, he's actually kind of depressing in some ways because he's ready to just basically annihilate himself, right? He's ready to stay so. The, tr- the sort of little conceit in this film is that all of these different Spider-Men cannot all coexist in the one universe. If you're a spider if you're something that comes from an alternative universe, you gradually start to break down because the universe starts rejecting you. And so they only have this certain amount of time. If they don't go back to their original universes, they'll basically cease to exist. And Peter B. Parker, this Spider-Man that's broken up with his wife and is so jaded with life, is basically willing to say, look, I'm really experienced, I can handle this mission, I'll stay on this side, everybody else goes back, and I'm happy to be annihilated because really, like, there's nothing for me left, kind of, in this other world, right? And, like, it's basically, for him, he goes through this character arc where he kind of starts realizing, hang on, like, there is actually something that's left for me. And, I, like, yes, I, like, the Mary Jane of Mars Morales' world is not my wife, and I actually have to go back to my world and, like, make up with my wife, apologize to her, and, like, start working on that relationship. I, I thought that was a really... Like, it felt like a really satisfying character arc, right? And it parallels. Where have we seen that before? Everywhere. We, 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 and, and, and our podcast on the show, I can't remember. Podcast. So, double. Come on, come on, guys. Which show? Oh, not his wife. Counterpart. Counterpart, yeah, yeah, counterpart, yeah. Yeah, and I thought it was cool as well because in. in like Miles, it kind of counterpoints this Miles Morales and his sort of him having to like work with his family and like sort of him coming to terms with his father and loving his father, blah blah blah. Right, so well, that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, the, I mean, there were various aspects of the like the universe that just were super endearing, right? Like, I love how basically. In Miles Morales' universe, the Peter Parker, the blonde Peter Parker, was basically Batman, and Aunt May is his Alfred. I thought that was, like, genius, right? Like, it's like this really different take on the character that obviously is stealing from another character, but, like, it was kind of cool, right? Like, you never see a spider cave, right? Like, Peter Parker is always this sort of pseudo-deadbeat. So, like, it's nice to see that there was a Peter Parker that kind of was able to, like, sort of build out his infrastructure a little bit. So, yeah. Um, should we... So, I, I kind of wanted to touch on the animation a little bit. Um, 
so... Okay, so... Why don't I quickly talk about, like, the various aspects of the animation that I picked up on that were really different and interesting, and if Jerry, Mags, or Andrew, you guys picked up on anything else, I'd love to talk about it. Um, yeah, because, look, the animation was really artistic and really interesting. My fear is kind of that it also became a little bit, like, distracting, um, mm-hmm. so I, I'd love to get your opinions on that, right? But, like, in terms of it being a movie comic book, I thought it was definitely, like, there were all these little aspects that kind of made it a movie comic book. Like, I felt like, and I don't know if this is true, I, Jez, I don't know if you picked up on this, I felt like the frame rate of the animation was very low, right? So it almost had a stop motion quality to it. Not quite stop motion, but you, like, I felt like the frame rate was very low. I felt like that was intentional yeah. to create the sense, because comic books are static, right? So it's like to create that sense of static comic bookiness, right? There was also this constant blurring on the edge of the screen. The colors were blurred, and that was meant, I think, to reflect in old-fashioned comic books because of the printing process. You know, the CMYK printing process you layer four colors on top of each other and sometimes the printing press is not 100% aligned so you get these bleeds of color one over the other right so you know where they're all supposed to be perfectly aligned they're not aligned so then you have this sort of blurring effect on the edge where the CMYK process isn't perfect I could understand that and then they also used various um I think the shading, like, obviously it was beautiful modern computer shading, but then they also used the, you know, the dot overlays, right? So traditionally in very old comic books, in order to get shading, the comic book artists would have to put these, like, these stencil overlays with dots on them. And I think the best, like, for people who don't really understand that, when you look at, you know, Lichtenstein... The close-up, Lichtenstein basically blows up the comic book panel, right? And then you see the dots in the Lichtenstein. The reason those dots are there and you see those dots, like they use these black dots for the shading, is because back in the day you didn't have that level of resolution in your printing and therefore you needed to create that illusion of shading with that sort of overlay, right? And this film uses that as well, right? So there's all these different elements of the comic book that they kind of take, right? And obviously there's also the the thought bubbles and then like the way the frames kind of work as well sometimes they actually have the comic book individual comic book frames popping up onto the screen one after the other so I thought all of that was super artistic and I thought that was um, really interesting and it made it feel a bit art housey my concern is that at times I felt that they went a little bit overboard does anybody agree with me, or am I alone in... Well, if you're going to do that whole comic book thing, don't you just have to commit to it and do it? But then, did you not feel that sometimes it made the, like... So firstly, I felt that the choppy frame rate, sometimes frame rate was sometimes a little bit jarring, given... I the... found it distracting, off-putting, and aesthetically displeasing the whole time, so... <laughs> <laughs> Like, that was one of my comments. Like, that was in my comments at the beginning that I didn't like the animation. Like, I appreciate that it was novel, interesting, and for people who love comics, it might have been amazing, but I didn't like it. So I do think it was like that all the time. But at the same time, if they were going to do it, I, I understand why they committed wholeheartedly to it. Mm, mm, mm. Did anyone... A different reaction. I absolutely loved it. I bought straight into it, hook, line, sinker. Um, hook, is that the way, is that yes. the phrase? Hook, line, yeah. sinker. Yeah. <laughs> sinker, yeah. yeah. Sinker. Um, I don't know why. I, I, I really loved it. And I think it might have been because I thought about this um, movie as um, like an unusual unusual attempt at rebooting um, a comic book series. Um, I like the fact that, you know, when in particular when there were, you know, different um, shots where he was going up or down, they'd have words that would follow the action, like mm. woo or, or boom or whatever it is. Um, and I quite enjoyed it. it. It added a sort of goofiness to the movie that I think fit the dialogue a little bit as well. Mm. Um, so but I, I think it kind of, 
went with the tone that they were trying to set. I, I didn't find it distracting myself because I kind of bought into, I guess, the whole concept that they were trying to explore. Mm, yeah. Look, yeah. Look, I, I definitely agree with this idea that all of this was ultra-intentional. Um, I guess for me, there were times when it... Uh, especially during some of the action scenes, it, yeah, sometimes I felt a little bit... Um, I don't know what the word is, right? Like, sometimes it just felt odd. <laughs> but anyway. Um, but I can 100% appreciate the artistry, and I think definitely a lot of thought has gone into the animation. So, yeah, that's definitely a plus. Um, yeah. Jerry, do, do you want to add anything to the quality of the animation? Look, I, I, I come down closer to your side of the debate. I thought it was... Um, I thought it was intentional, and I thought it was really stylish. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the, the way in which the movie was animated. Um, I've got to say, uh, if there's a criticism to be made, it's really about the sort of climactic, if one can call it, battle sequence, because it was extremely difficult to, to understand what was going on, where things were spatially in relation to each other. Um, that felt abstract, that, right? That final spin. That was probably, yeah. That was probably intentional as well. <laughs> It, it, it just it took me out of the movie just how difficult it was to understand where each of the characters were in relation to each other, what the objects, what 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 the objects were that they were confronting, um, you know the 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 the, the, the sort of um, geography of the of the entire final sequence was just kind of out of whack, and I, it was hard to understand. Um, you know what what was what was quite going on where, um, and that was it was almost sort of Michael Bay esque in its level of mayhem. So that was quite difficult to understand. And look, I'm not one for I'm not one for body shaming people, but really, the the proportions of Kingpin were just ridiculous. I like that actually. He he just looked ridiculous. He looked menacing. Uh, and and he, he, he just it took me out of the movie just how stupid he looked. You know, he was basically a brick shit house with a bald head in the middle, in, where his chest should have been, and he just, it just, it just looked stupid. And you know, with all due respect to, to Lee Schreiber, who's a very good actor, but that sort of uh, exaggerated uh, gangster voice, hated that as well. He actually sounded like the. Do you remember there was a there was an animated the Saturday morning animated TV show called Cops? Yes, the I love that show. Called, called Kingpin. <laughs> Who's, who's different from the Kingpin in the Marvel Universe. But he's, but Lee Schreiber gave him almost exactly the same voice as Kingpin from Cops. Yeah. And that sounded ridiculous. And that, 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 that just sort of took, that just took me out of the movie. So I thought, I thought Kingpin, in fact, I thought most of the villains were pretty, pretty average in this movie. So Kingpin was a bit average. Liv Octavius was completely unthreatening and kind of rubbish as well. Um, and the closest that the movie came to giving us a compelling villain was um, was um, Aaron Morales, but at the same time, um, uh, as you say, Darren, this it's, it's, we're not quite sure what his death meant. In fact, we don't know whether his death meant anything other than as a way for, as a trigger for um, Miles Morales' father to reach out to him. Other than that, it's a pretty inconsequential death because nothing about that death causes Miles Morales' character to undergo any growth. It's only at the moment when he is kicked out of the Spider People team that he he really experiences any growth. Yeah. Um, so, so all in all, I think the villains were pretty weak, um, but. That notwithstanding, um, and the look of Kingpin notwithstanding, I thought the, the, the film was sufficiently stylish to sort of paper over those cracks. Mm, agreed. Okay, so finally, do we want to have a quick chat about where do we think this is all going? Because I know that there was a news report that came out that basically didn't rule out the inclusion of um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man in the extended Spider-Man universe, 
right? So, where do we think all this is going? Do, do we think that they're going to reboot live-action Spider-Man film on the Sony side? Do we think that they're just going to continue to make these sort of weird and really weird animated Spider-Man film and kind of try to go, hey, and where kind of the Marvel Universe can kind of slot in there as well because we're talking about a multiverse? And how do we think Venom is going to fit into this? Because, like, since the weird, the, the most bizarre movie incident of 2018, the success of Venom a wholly horrible <laughs> film that everybody loved. Um, they're making Venom 2, and apparently Venom 2 is going to be Yay! linked to Spider-Man somehow. <laughs> um, so, like, what do you think? Like, I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen. I, I still feel like that this film laid a really strong structure, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about whether you, you guys have any thoughts on an extended Spider-Man. I mean... Manager. Look, it's like her I, worst I, nightmare. <laughs> I know, like hopefully not. But I think this film has been so successful, I wouldn't be surprised if they did another animation. Mm. Jerry, look, I think the film ends at a good spot. Namely, the Peter Parker of the Miles Morales universe is dead. Peter B. Parker has returned to his universe, so Miles Morales is the only Spider-Man in this universe. And I think if if the um, makers of this movie stick with Miles Morales as the focus, then this can exist quite independently of um, Tom Holland, the Tom Holland you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, version of Spider-Man. And to be honest, I hope they don't they don't introduce yet another version of Peter Parker because in the last decade, in the last fifteen years, we've had three Peter three live action Peter Parkers: Tobey Maguire. Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. Add to that animated Peter Parker in this movie. I, I think the Peter Parker story has been done to death. Um, frankly, I think um, if they're going to persist in making um, a series of movies using this as the foundation for doing so, then they should just focus on Miles Morales and develop his story. Because whilst he's grown a bit in this film, he's still got, I think, a way to go because he's still a very, very young character um and so uh the his development and the trajectory of his development um are things that require uh, more exploration rather than um you know sort of crowding his story out by introducing yet another version of of peter parker because frankly that 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 story's been it's been done it's been done to death it's been done with varying degrees of success and i think so Sony should have learned the bitter lesson from The Amazing Spider-Man, namely that if you rush too quickly after introducing a version of Peter Parker to introduce yet another one, you're just going to alienate audiences, and audiences are going to see that quite correctly as a very cynical money grab. I mean, these are all cynical money grabs, but that was The Amazing Spider-Man was a particularly... Amazing cynical money grab. Money grab. Yeah, yeah. It was, an, it was an amazingly cynical money grab. And, and and even though even though there's an argument to be made that you know Garfield is more likable than Tobey Maguire, I just thought, given the timing of the release of that movie, it was just you know the fact that people saw it all, like we saw it. We should never have seen it, but we ended up we succumbed <laughs> and, uh, and and went to watch it, and it was. It was it was not a very good movie. So um, I think I think you know sort of they they can take and the added benefit of um, of having these animated films is you know it's not as if any of these actors are going to grow old. Yeah, um, they can take their time making sure that the next one they get right, mm. rather than rushing out a yet a sequel because you know sort of the character playing um, Spider Man might 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 sort of um, you know grow grow old we might have that problem with tom holland even though he looks preternaturally looks and sounds preternaturally young but there is a moment when he's going to age out of the role Mm. and given that he's a high school student that moment might be pretty soon Mm. they don't have that problem with 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 an animated miles morales so they can take their time in getting it right and they Mm. should um jerry what do you think about venom (laughs) how do do you think they're going to integrate venom that is like this 
I've no idea how they're going to integrate yeah. Venom. I don't know uh, if they look, are. N- 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 neither do I. I just think, look, I think the they should, if they integrate Venom into, I don't think they, they can cleanly integrate Venom into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think what they can do is occasionally make nods to the existence of Spider-Man in the universe that Venom occupies because, and I don't think they should do any more than that. Bear in mind, of course, that Spider-Man is a uniquely New York and particularly uniquely Brooklyn hero, whereas Venom is now based, Venom is based in San Francisco. Mm. So they're geographically, they're in geographically distinct parts of the world. And I think um, you, you can, you can have nods to the existence of Spider-Man and have him as a character who's just kind of mostly off screen. If you do see him, you don't see him fully. Um, present Spider-Man, for instance, in the way that the TV show Supergirl presents Superman. Like he's kind of there and he's kind of a looming presence, but he's mostly off screen. And even when he's on screen, you never see his face. He's kind of like Kaiser Soze in that respect. I think if they kept Spider-Man like that, um, then might be a, then the, the, that might be an elegant way of weaving of acknowledging the existence of Spider-Man in the Venom universe without making him a, a central part of it. Because I think if they did that, um, you know, sort of, they, first of all, you'd have to explain how Spider-Man gets to San Francisco. You'd have to explain, and you, you'd, you'd have to ask the question whether it's whether you would use Tom Holland, and if so, then the contractual negotiations between Sony. And Disney would imagine they have a super added layer of, of complication above and beyond that which actually allowed Spider-Man: Homecoming to be made. So I think you know they don't have to they don't have to push too hard in order they don't they shouldn't push too hard to to make Spider-Man a central figure in in, in the universe of Venom. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Look, I think that's 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 fair what you've said. Although I will say that. Now that we talk about Venom, I actually am really looking forward to Venom 2, and I hope it's a horrible, bad film that is also <laughs> super, like, just weirdly bad that everybody loves, right? I would love to have yeah. a series of weirdly bad films that you're like, that was objectively a bad film, but I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope Venom 2 yes. is like that. <laughs> Can I just say, Venom now worldwide has made more money than Wonder Woman did. That's insane. That's insane. And you know, do you know why? Why? China. Chinese have have launched Venom into the into the movie stratosphere and above Wonder Woman. So, uh, so based on based on based on Transformers Four and Venom, you'd have to say. That if America continues making like action movies or superhero movies with the Chinese market in mind, we are we are due for some truly awful film. But you know, <laughs> the thing is, look, I, I yes, that that's a problem. I absolutely agree that that's a problem. But like, I actually think part of Venom's charm is that it's objectively bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's lovably objectively bad. So. I'm willing to put up with that if that is kind of Venom's niche. The thing yeah, is, Transformers yeah. neat actually has nothing lovable about it. It's just so bad, right? Like, but, yeah. <laughs> like at least Venom has this sort of weird, quirky, like lovableness to it. That yeah, you know, I'm willing to put up to it. But yeah, it is obscene that. Venom was so popular in China, and I don't feel like people in China were saying, hey, this is like an ironically bad, great, good film. I'm not loving it because it's ironic. It's like, genuinely, I think this is a good film. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read the Chinese reviews, but I'm not sure many of them are seeing, like, loving this film for the ironic nature of it. So, yeah. Um, Anyway. Look, um... Do we want to talk about Into the Spider-Verse anymore? I, I think we're done, right? Is there any, Are there any other things we want to talk about? Anyone? The only thing I would say is I I also support... I, I think they'll do another um, animation because I think this is a true reboot because it's... as I totally agree with Gerald. They've got a completely new character. It's not Peter Parker. 
Um, so this is their chance to actually create a new character, so to speak, that's more relevant to this current generation, not rebooting old history. So. Yeah, and the reality also is that Peter Parker actually exists in a movie sense with Tom Holland right now, right? And there's going to be another Tom Holland live-action Spider-Man film. So in some ways, this idea of differentiating by using a slightly different medium, but also as a blockbuster film in inverted commas is it's a pretty good idea like i I feel like whoever thought of this idea this is a really left field idea that i actually think has paid off so like kudos to them because i I think it's it's really clever what they've done right what these guys at sony are actually doing so good on them sometimes they do make good decisions Um, yeah absolutely (laughs) and and it's i think it's a big deal that miles morales is not white. I think that's a. Mm. I, I think mm. it's they don't make a they don't make a big deal of it in, in this movie as they shouldn't. Mm. But it is it is a massive step forward uh, that Spider Man, one of the absolute flagship superheroes, you know, known to you know in the same in the same level of sort of notoriety as Batman, and Superman, um, and I would say Spider until 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 Robert Downey Jr. Spider Man was a better known character than Iron Man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Iron Man okay, was a... He's, he's, yeah. Go, he's go, go. absolutely at that level. And the fact that he is now in this particular series of films, assuming that there will be a series, is, is, is a black kid in Brooklyn. I think it's a massive step forward for the franchise. And it, and it's only to be um, applauded and encouraged because, you know, blackness is not at the core of his identity in the way that sort of it is for Black Panther, but, but, it's, but it's there... And the fact that it's there and he wears it so lightly and it's associated with one of the absolute flagship superheroes in the comic book world is, I think, a pretty big deal. And, and you know, we don't have to make too big a deal uh, of it, you know, in terms of, in terms of these movies, but uh, I think it's a big step forward. Yeah, look, to that point, I actually really love... Like, I, I thought that the way they dealt with... They didn't really make his race a big deal, right? It was more this idea of... It's like his heroism that kind of defines him as a Spider-Man. It doesn't really matter. You could be green, but like your heroism kind of defines you as Spider-Man, right? So I thought that was really like well done, right? I, I thought it was, you know, they they didn't sort of shove it in your face, right? That it was, and it was subtly done. And yeah, absolutely. I think Miles Morales is a compelling character going forward. Um, yeah. Okay, folks, um, thank you so much for joining me for this discussion tonight. Um, next week, I think we'll talk about Aquaman, but we'll stay tuned. We'll see what happens. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe Anna will stay awake for this film. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye. Adios.